Amen. I'm glad you're here today. Let me just say a word about prayer before we uh, go into the Word today. Um, on next Sunday, we're going to, uh, again, consider from 9.45 until 10, our prayer time. It's a special time of prayer. We're going to do it a little differently than we did before. Um, how many of you know somebody that has a need? Any kind of need at all? Anybody? That's all of us, isn't it? We all know someone who has a need. And beginning next Sunday morning at 945, um, uh, several of us, pastors and, and anyone else who wants to join us, we're going to, to be here at the altar for prayer. Now, we, we're in a church um, that believes the Bible. True? Uh, we believe in prayer, right? It's not a waste of time. It's not a form that you go through. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So we take prayer seriously. Now, at the end of the service today, we're going to be having a time of receiving prayer requests and praying. But next Sunday, beginning at 945 and the following Sundays, what we'd like to do is we're going to have our, our pastors and anyone who is willing to come and, and, and we're going to pray here at the front. Now, what I'd like to suggest you do is when you come in the lobby, say hello and smile, but keep walking. And come on into the church, and let's, let's, let's make this place a house of prayer. Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And so if you would help us with that, I know it's tempting. We love to fellowship, and we can fellowship after service. But you know, when you come in and it's already 945, if you would just smile and say hello to everybody and, and then just come right on in. Because what we'd like for you to do is when you come in and you have a need, we'd like for you to come forward because our pastors and the people who are here would love to pray with you about that need. If you have a, a written prayer request, we'd like for you to bring that and we'll pray with you about that need. If you have a neighbor who's going through a hard time, you can say to them, you know what, at our church every Sunday morning before the service begins, we have different people come forward for prayer. And our pastors and different people who are, are prayer warriors, they'll gather around and they'll pray with you about that particular need. I believe the church needs to return to prayer. And it needs to be more than just a passing form or, or something that we kind of tag on and, and not really take it all that seriously. I'll, I'll just go ahead and share with you. Several years ago, joined myself. We're in New York City and attended Brooklyn Tabernacle. That's a great church. But while we were there, actually the, what drew us there was I had heard for years about their prayer meeting. On a Tuesday night, they have a prayer meeting. Every Tuesday night. I had heard that thousands of people came for prayer. Quite honestly, I didn't know if I believed that or not. So I wanted to go see for myself. And Joy and I got to Brooklyn Tabernacle about 5.30. The prayer meeting started at 7. We went and got a bike to eat right down in Brooklyn, New York, just a couple blocks away. There was a McDonald's. We got something to eat and came back in. We still got there. Uh, it was about a, an hour to an hour and a half early when we got there. And I just wanted to check this prayer meeting out. We walked into the sanctuary, and to my surprise, there was already probably 150 to 200 people around the altar praying. I thought, whoa, these people are taking this thing seriously. And then over the next hour, people just kept coming, and people just kept coming, and the whole floor level in Brooklyn Tabernacle was full of people. 
little bit later on, Joy had to step out. And I said, while you're stepping out, would you go up to the balcony? I'd just like to know how many people are up there. I'm just curious. She walks up to the balcony, comes back down, says, how many people are up there? She says, it's about full. So that meant there were about four to 5,000 people in that church that night for a prayer meeting in New York City. Can you believe it? Now, prayer is important. We know that. Prayer is important. And I just feel like that this would be of benefit. As we stood there that night waiting for the prayer meeting to start, beforehand, I noticed what I've just described to you that I'd like for us to do here. And the pastors were up front, and there were three aisles that had dozens of people in each aisle waiting their turn to come and receive prayer and be prayed for. I thought, now that's awesome. That's biblical right there. And so if you would help us, this is not just a a, a little, this is a gnawing. This is something that we can't. We can't ignore. We, we need to do this. This is, this is spirit-led for the church to pray. We suffer when we don't pray. We do without when we don't pray. We go with, with our needs unmet when we don't pray. You have not because you ask not. And the Bible says if you, any, any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. And uh, we believe that here, incidentally anointing with oil and praying the prayer of faith. And, and we do all that here because we simply believe the Bible. So if you would keep that in mind, I know the temptation is great to stand out in the, in the lobby and drink coffee and chit-chat until five minutes after the service begins. And then when you hear the choir end in the first song, then come in. I know that's a temptation. But there's something more important than that. And that something would be for us to gather together and pray and seek God and I will promise you that God will reward that if we will do it. Not a doubt in my mind. A, a praying church is going to have a lot of things going on in it that are pleasing to the Lord. And we, we certainly want to do that. So um, if you would help us on, on Sunday mornings at 945 when that, about that time rolls in. Uh, we got people with needs. We got people with serious needs. And we need to be preparing about those needs. And a lot more can be accomplished in here talking to God than can be accomplished out there talking to each other. Amen? And there's plenty of other time to chat when service is over. But please help us with that. That, that is an extremely important biblical thing that we want to get on track with. Uh, believing the Lord and taking prayer seriously. And uh, you will never regret time that you spent with the Lord in prayer drawing near to Him. I suggest it will transform our services and our attitude as we worship as well if we spent some time with him in prayer beforehand. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to share with you perhaps an unusual sermon. It will be for some of you this morning. The title of this message that I want to share with you today, What is this thing we call the church? What is this thing we call the church? Now, I can just imagine in my mind that there might be someone here who is now thinking something along this line. Well, everybody knows what the church is. Why, there's a church right down the corner and another one down the street and another one downtown. Everywhere we go, there are churches. Why ask such a question as that? What is this thing we call the church? Well... I would like to share with you this fact. Not one time 
in the entire Bible. Not one time in the entire Bible when you see the word church does it refer to a building. Never. But we have gotten to the point in our culture, probably when we say the word church, the first thing that comes to our mind is a building. But not one time in the Bible when the word church is used does it ever refer to a building. It always refers to the people. The born again, redeemed, forgiven people who, who actually worship in that building. That's the church. The church is made of people, not with bricks and mortar and stone. Although we will use that as an illustration this morning, or I should say Paul used that as an illustration to help us understand something about the church. The Bible always speaks about the church being people. You and I are the church. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches, as we shall see. So this morning, the, the, I'd like to begin with the fact that the Old Testament talks about the Jews. Now, most of you know that. There's the Jews and the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And the Old Testament was the history of the Jews, basically. It's how God, uh, we read about creation in Genesis, but then we also read beginning at chapter 12, how God made a promise to Abraham. And from that point on, we're reading about how God works in this, on this earth he has created and brings out of it for himself a group of people. He called out a group of people. We know those people today as the Jews. We read about, we read the prophets in the Old Testament. They were all Jewish. We read about uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and that was written to the Jews and concerning their history and the laws and so forth. Uh, so everything we read in the Old Testament basically has the Jews as their focus and their relationship with their God, the Jews. Not many of us here today are Jewish. We do have some Jewish people here who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, may I add. Jews, however, when they looked upon Gentiles historically, they did not look favorably upon them. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. And the we might would say in modern terminology, there was no love lost between the two. The Jews had some sense of some sense of pride, and rightfully so, but Jesus often condemned them for their arrogance and their pride and, and their um, exclusive relationship they thought that they had with the Lord. And the Lord was constantly trying to, to help them to understand that, that the calling that was upon them as a people was to reach out and, and spread the love of God, the knowledge of God, to, to all mankind, but they were a little bit resistant to that sometimes. So the Jews basically despised the Gentiles and the Gentiles despised the Jews. There was no love loss. As a matter of fact, they looked at each other in biblical language. We can read this sometimes as dogs. Those dogs. That's kind of um, disrespectful, isn't it? But that's the way they viewed one another. So then along comes Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So this, this promised Messiah, this promised Jewish Messiah came when the time was right. In God's eyes, Jesus came. And when he came, he 
created something that we know as the church. And Jesus opened the door not only to the Jews in this new creation he called the church, but he opened it up to the Gentiles as well. For the Bible says that God so loved the that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. Would you say that word, whosoever? Jewish or Gentile. It doesn't matter. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so what we find when we begin to read through the New Testament, we begin to see how the, the Lord is building his church. Jesus said, incidentally, in Matthew 18, 18, which we'll see in a few moments, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, it's my church, by the way. And may I say to you that this church here, this is not Pastor Ron's church. This is not even the deacon's church. It's not really our church. This is God's church, right? We are part of something much bigger than what you see here. We are part of God's church. And it includes Jews and Gentiles, male and female, bond and free, rich and poor, black and white, yellow and red, you name it. it the door is open to anybody. Amen? You don't have to look like us, talk like us, smell like us, eat the same foods we like. We're all different, but all are welcome in God's church. And when we come together in God's church, we have to learn to get along because we are one, the Bible says. My point being here that there were Jews and Gentiles in the church, both redeemed through his blood, both having forgiveness of sins. Incidentally, let me share these. I didn't pull these out of midair. Both Jews and Gentiles being redeemed through his blood, Ephesians 1, 7. Both Jews and Gentiles having forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, 7. Both put into one body, Ephesians 2, 14. Both accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6. And both obtained an inheritance, Ephesians 1, 11. So in all these passages, we see the promises were not just to the Jews, and they certainly weren't just to the Gentiles, but the Lord, God in His wisdom, as we're going to see in a moment, looked down through the ages and purposed in His heart ahead of time that He was going to have a body, a church, and He was going to put the Jews and the Gentiles together as one group, one body, and that, that was almost unthinkable in the time of Christ. The way they despised one another. If you read through the book of Acts, the history of the book of Acts is a story of how that came about and how there were some struggles. And how when, when the Lord established the church, when he formed the church, when he created the church, it was formed with Jews, of course. And the Jews, of course, had a, a mindset that things needed to be done their way, the way that they had learned all throughout the law and through the Old Testament. Well, there were some things that the Gentiles, when they came to Christ, the Jews felt like the Gentiles needed to do it the same way they did it, and therefore we had some problems. As you read through the book of Acts, there was great uh, animosity. There was disagreement. There were councils that were held, meetings that came about, 
There was disagreement between some of the apostles at times as they worked through these things. But finally it was decided all you need to do is be born again and follow the word of the Lord and you come to Christ if you're a Gentile and you don't have to do all the things that are requirements and that are incumbent upon you if you are a Jew. So God brings both of them into one body. Jesus called this creation that we're talking about, and I use that word for a reason. We'll see it in a few moments. Jesus called this creation of his the church. In the original language, which in this case would be Greek, there was no word C-H-U-R-C-H because they didn't have a C-H-U-R-C-H. They didn't have those letters. It was different characters altogether, a different language. The word originally was the word ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia. And the word ecclesia simply means the called out ones. It's made up of two words, to call and, to, and one, people who are called out. Ecclesia, the church. We today are called out of the world. We're called out of sin. The Old Testament said to the Jews, come out from among them and be a separated people. Anybody remember reading that? They were supposed to be holy, not wicked. They were supposed to be servants of the Most High, not of idols. So come out from among them and be a separate people. And so today the idea of the church is people who have been born again, redeemed, saved by the blood. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And they take seriously the word of God and the commandments of Jesus. And purpose in their hearts, they're going to live that way, having experienced the grace that he provides. And then they become the church. Well... It's a creation of Jesus. He's the one who said, I will build my church. He, should, he chose the apostles. And we'll, we'll read here in a few moments and, and their part in all of this. But again, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a pretty good insurance policy to have right there, folks. Listen, in all that you see going on in the world today, don't ever think that the church is going under. Church is not going under. As a matter of fact, I got news for you. The church is not going down. The church is going up. There's good news for the church. Now, if you get your eyes on what's going on around, you might get all nervous and worry about things. But I'm going to tell you, God's got this. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's got this. The church is going up, not down. I guess really the question for us is going to be, are we going to be a part of it? It's not a question of will the church be victorious. It will be. The real question is, will we be a part of it? Well, somebody says, well, of course I'll be a part of it. I'm here, aren't I? Do you know what? Can I share with you today? It's, it's trite. It sounds a little bit elementary, but I'm going to say it anyway because it makes a point. We need to understand today that, that sitting in a church no more makes you part of the church than sitting in a garage makes you a Cadillac. Amen. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us, Jesus taught this very early on in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me turn over to that right quick. Uh, Matthew 7, I believe it is. Um, 
Yeah, Matthew 7, beginning at verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now listen to this. This is, this is, a, this is a troubling statement by Jesus. Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And we're glad that all of you are here today. God bless you. Thank you for coming. I don't want to scare anybody today. But for those of you who attend here regularly, you know we just, we just speak truth. Amen? And when you deliberately deviate from what the Word of God says, you're in trouble with God. And when God says that marriage is between a man and a woman, and then a church comes along and says, it's okay for Adam and Steve to become married, we got a problem. So I'm saying to you today, based on the authority of God's Word, because there may be a sign over a building that says church, it doesn't make it His church. And today what we're concerned about is this, because there's, there's a lot of ways in which things are going down in this world today. But I want to tell you one thing, when the church goes up, I want to be in that number. Remember the old song, when the saints go marching in, oh Lord, I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in. But this tells me that everybody who thinks they're going's not going. There's going to be some surprises. And so I'm trying to help us understand today that to be the church that the Bible talks about means more than just showing up in a church on a Sunday morning. It is being born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, with your name written down in the book of life. And you're walking to the beat of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, not the beat of the world and the, and the cadence that they give you. Amen? True? Listen, I'm going to tell you one thing. If you do everything the world does, goes every, everywhere the world goes, talk like the world talks, acts like the world acts, what have you been called out from? What have you been called out from? If I talk, if my language is like everybody else's, if I go to the same place, if, if, if we are unfaithful to our spouses like the people in the world are unfaithful to their spouses, then what have we been called out of? But the Bible gives us a road map. The Bible gives us instructions about how we're supposed to live. And when we do that, when we follow the commands of the Lord Jesus, after having been saved and redeemed and, and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, when we walk according to His Word, then we can become part of His church. We're going to see that illustrated today because that's, that's what all of this is about. Paul the Apostle writes to the believers in Ephesus to school them. See the word school in, in, um, in quotes there. We need to be taught. Amen? We need to be taught what the Bible says. So Paul the Apostle writes to the believers in Ephesus to school them about this new creation of God called the church. 
something that had been in the mind of God, but now was being revealed at the proper time. I want to read that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will. Paul is saying that God has made known to us the mystery of His will. According to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, or which are on earth in Him. This was in the mind of God from the beginning. The prophets didn't see it, didn't understand it, didn't work, they weren't able to put it together. And then when the Lord comes on the scene and begins to minister and, and call unto him twelve, the Bible says he made them twelve, he ordained them twelve, and he started something there. There was a new creation being formed, a church was being formed, and the doors to that church of Jesus Christ were going to be open to the Jews and the Gentiles. And you know what? Now you can go back into the Old Testament and you can see that all over the place. But it was hidden from us until the time had come, the fullness of the time, and, and when the apostle began to explain it, and when Jesus began to explain it, then all those other things that were written in the Old Testament began to take on meaning we never could possibly have understood before. That's such a wonderful thing, the way the Lord does things. We'll see more about that in just a moment. God called the church something that had been in the mind of God all along, but now was being revealed at the proper time. To that end, Paul focuses on three different aspects of the church to help us comprehend the glory of what we ourselves have been allowed to participate in. I want to tell you today, we should be excited and thankful that God has allowed us to be a part of the church. It's the greatest thing going in the world today. It's the only thing that's going to get you to heaven. There's no other institution vehicle going to get you there. It's the church of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going to get us where we're supposed to go as believers. So today I'm going to share with you three things over the next few moments. Three illustrations from the book of Ephesians. Three things that give a different perspective on this thing that we call the church. It's the building, the body, and the bride. The building, the body, and the bride. So first we're going to look at the building. Paul says that the church is like a building, like a holy temple. So let's read together um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let me just back up. Let me just back up for just a minute. Let's, let's back up to verse 14 and let's substantiate the fact that it was God's will and indeed he did, he did put the Jews and the Gentiles together. Now these are two groups of people who didn't like each other very much. So it's quite an amazing thing. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. 
who has made both one. That is the Jews and the Gentiles, if you read before that. He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create, there's that word, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, to those who were near, and to those who were near. For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. Now verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You no longer hate one another. You no longer fight against one another. You no longer despise one another. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, there's that word, building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So Paul is talking about this new creation that Jesus is, is putting together, building, creating. He's talking about the church. He says this church is like a building. And, and he kind of describes it this way. You know, we know just a little bit about building here. Not a lot, but we know a little bit. And before this building was ever built, or any other building that is built for that matter, it doesn't originate with the builders. Um, it doesn't originate with concrete and wood. It originates somewhere in somebody's mind. Am I right? A... An architect, let's say, someone has a dream, someone has a, a desire to see something come into existence. And so an architect then, uh, or whoever has this idea, begins to put forethought into it. And how is it that we want this to look? What is it that we want this thing to be? So it starts out in someone's mind, and then when it's handed over to the builders, they actually construct that thing and bring it into existence. Well, the Bible tells us that the church, this building that we're talking about now, originated in the mind of God. It was, I say this in the last three weddings I know, since Ashley and Nathan got married, I think it was the first time I deliberately punched this, and a couple or three weddings since then. Every time I talk about that, I remind the people there, listen, marriage is God's idea. It's God's idea. And God defined marriage. I believe that. It's God's idea. Go read the book of Genesis. Marriage was God's idea. It, it, it was initiated by God, and then we see it acted out all over. Well, it's that way with the building. This this um, building that God is that Paul is describing here, the church, it it originated in the mind of God, long time ago. We read that in Genesis. Excuse me, in Ephesians one, 
it, it was, it was in God's mind. It was His will. He determined it beforehand. And when the fullness of the time had come, isn't that interesting that that language is used there about the church? When the fullness of the time was come, the Lord put this church together. It also says, I think I quoted this earlier maybe, that in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born, born under the law. Listen, when it was, when it was time, when God said the time was right, when the fullness of time came, Jesus was born. And then Jesus grew into the man that He was determined or foreordained to be. Uh, he, He came, oh goodness. Boy, the, the Bible's exciting, folks. The Bible says, as Jesus is speaking, he says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to do thy will, O God. So Jesus comes to fulfill everything that the Bible has said about him. He, it has already been determined what he's supposed to be. Jesus comes to fulfill that. When the fullness of the time had come, he was born. And when the fullness of the time has, had come, he also began to perform miracles. And he began to share his word and his will and the will of the Father. He called unto him his disciples. Of his disciples, he chose 12. He ordained them. He called them church, the called out ones. And that thing has been growing ever since as the Lord continues to build his church like he promised he would. Now, as we think about that, it was in the mind of God from the beginning. The apostles lived before Jesus, but now you can go back and read, not the apostles, the prophets. You go back and read the things that the prophet said, and you can see how they had glimpses of this all along that pointed to the time that there was going to be a time when the Jews and the Gentiles became one. And then after Jesus comes, he chooses his apostles, and then he has all of these people who are helping to spread the word, who have been personally taught by Jesus himself. And then the Bible declares that the, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, before Christ, the prophets, after Christ, the apostles. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, we need to understand visually what that means. It's like you take a big slab of concrete or stone that's perfectly square. And Jesus comes and he plops that thing down where he wants it. And how he wants it. The cornerstone. That's an important stone in the building, folks. Because everything else is built to the cornerstone. Jesus comes and he lays the cornerstone. And then the prophets line up one way. And the apostles line up another way on the cornerstone. And then Paul went on to say, now you, you, Jesus said he's going to build his church. But he also told us to be builders. Paul even said this concerning building the church. He said, take heed how you build upon Do you know what? You just can't build the church any way you want to build it. Churches don't have the right just to go rogue and do anything they want to do. Not still be the church. They don't. They have to, they have to build upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Everything we do, everything we teach, everything we believe needs to line up perfectly with the foundation and the building and the instructions that God has already given. Amen. Does that make sense? And we don't have the right to go building extra rooms and going in directions that we were never given the authority to go in. That's what's happening today, if you think about it. Well, we think it'd be nice to have this 
thing over here. And so we go building that and making all kinds of changes to what God's word says. I'm going to tell you, it's not going to stand because when Paul said, take heed how you build, he said, now there's some going to build of, of um, gold and silver, good materials. And when the storm comes, when the judgment comes, those things are going to stand. Amen? He also said some are going to build of wood, hay, and stubble. And when the fire comes, that's all going to be burned away. It's important to build on the foundation. I'm, I'm trying to help you understand how, listen, we, if we understood what we were a part of as Christians today, man, our hearts ought to be about to explode. That the God of heaven would give us the privilege of being involved in something so wonderful and so beautiful as the church of Jesus Christ. And we just kind of take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's not a big deal. There's churches everywhere. I'm going to tell you what, there may not, there may be buildings everywhere. But only God knows where his churches are. Only God sees who among a group of people is really part of his church. You know what? Your name can be on the roll and not even be recognized by God. Because you could be a member of a church all day long and die lost. People who aren't even Christians can join a church. Right? Do you know what? When, When Jesus comes back and the rapture takes place, The fact that you're a member of a church doesn't mean a thing if you weren't living right. Amen. Boy, it sure is quiet. But being a member of a church is not going to take you to heaven. But walking in lockstep with Jesus and following the leadership of the Spirit and having lived a life that's consistent with the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets I'm going to tell you, you can lay down and go to sleep at night and rest assured if Jesus comes back before daylight, you're going with him. Amen. I think there's probably way too much nonchalance, haphazardness and sloppiness with the way we treat Christianity these days in which we live. It's a holy temple. It's the household of God. It's the dwelling place of God. It's the temple of God, the building of God. And all these things are meant to teach us we have to do it the right way. There's some things that we wanted to do when we built this building that we were not allowed to do. Because when the building inspector got here, he said, you can't do that. Likewise, when it comes to having a relationship with God, He's our Heavenly Father, we're His children, we're, we're on our way to heaven. Well, this might not be a great example because it's getting very rare nowadays for children to be disciplined by their parents and say no. Right? Sometimes good parents say no. Amen. There's times good parents say no to their children. And there's definitely times the Lord says no to us about certain things. But Lord, you just don't understand what happened. And the Lord says no. We have to learn to respect 
the revelation of God's Word and what's been laid out for us. Because it's like following the plans on a building. It has to be done according to the way that that person who envisioned that put it together. Being God, of course. Let's move from the building to the body right quick. The church is His body. Ephesians 1 verse 22. The Bible says, And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church. I think most of us know that Jesus is the head of the church. If you know that, would you say amen? Now, I want to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I read all that to read this. There is one body. There is one body. And one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is above all and through all and in you all. And then the Bible says in verse 11. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now listen very carefully, if you would, to the next few verses. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, that's the rest of us, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And I'm not going to take the time to read it. I will tell you, you can go to 1 Corinthians 12, and there's a whole chapter there about the body, how the church is the body, how Jesus is the head, and how important we are. But let me summarize it by saying this. If you cut off a finger, you can still live. Amen? If you cut off a leg, you can still live. If you cut out an eye or lose an eye somehow, you can still make it. But if you cut your head off, can you live? It's over. Amen? The Bible says that Jesus is the head and we are his body. And all of us are important parts in that body. Very needful. The Lord needs us all. According to that verse that I just read, all of us supply something. All of us contribute something. We're all part of the body of Christ as, we, as we're placed in the body. And, and, and there's something for us to do and, and we contribute and we make a difference as members of the body of Christ. 
But the idea is now that the head, Jesus, is over the whole body. And the body is submissive to the head and does what the head says do, right? Can you think of situations where in the physical body, the head tells the body to do something and it won't do it? Several years ago, it's been about two years ago, I guess I had that rotator cuff surgery. It's the funniest thing, looking back now, but it wasn't funny when it happened. I've spent a lot of time in hospitals, but I haven't spent a lot of time in the hospital as a patient. And I went in that day and I had surgery on the shoulder. And when they finished, they had me all bound up with a sling. And, and when I got ready to go home, the doctor put a put my shirt back on over the top of everything. And I even said to the doctor, can, can we not, while I'm here and you're here, can we not slide my shirt over my arm and, and do that? And he said, oh, no, you, you'll be fine. Just leave it like it is. Go home. Well, I got home, I was miserable. That T-shirt was so tight, and, and I had my arm underneath it, and I was miserable. So I said, come in here, Joy, and help me. My arm was numb. I'd had surgery, and I, I, had, I had Joy to help me take my shirt off, and then I was going to put it back on over this arm so it wouldn't be all bound up. Had it in a sling. And I had her hold my arm or holding the sling or something. I don't remember what it was. But I said, I told her to do something else and she did it. And I thought I could hold my hand right there. I had never experienced anything like that before. Well, I'm just going to hold it there while we do this. And when I let go, my, my arm just dropped like it belonged to you. I, I looked down she looked down and. She started to panic. I said, it's all right. It's just hanging there. I, I pulled it back up. I had never, exp- I couldn't believe it. I felt that arm as much as I'm feeling those light fixtures up there. It's like it was not a part of me. It belonged. And, and in my mind, I was saying, I know I can hold my hand right there. But boy, when, when we let go, that thing just went down. My head said, stay But my arm just couldn't obey because of what I had gone through. And for the first time in my life, I gained an appreciation of what it means to be paralyzed. I I understood paralysis, but I I just never had... I mean, it just looks like if you could look look at your leg and say, move leg, and it looks like it would move. But sometimes it won't. Sometimes there are things where the body doesn't cooperate with the head. And there's times in church when the body's not cooperating with the head. And when we do, bad things happen. And above all things, if we've got anything in our lives that we're obligated to do as Christians, we have to obey the head. He's the head, we're the body. He's in control, we're in a position of submission to Him. And we always submit to what Jesus says. And never have the right to make an executive decision that goes against what this book says. Amen? I don't care if we're in 100% agreement as a church to do it. If it contradicts this book, it's going to get us in trouble with God. He's the head. We're the body. So we've talked about the building. 
and the, the, the requirement that we have to stay with the foundation that's been laid. We talked about the body, how it's important. We're part of the body, but we're supposed to submit to Jesus, who is the head. Now, we're going to end up this morning by talking about the bride. The bride. I thought very seriously about having the wedding march played. The church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 22, another perspective on the church. Now, you're going to think, as I read this, this is talking mostly about husbands and wives. But I'll share with you, by the time we get finished, Paul says, what I'm really talking about is Christ in the church. Keep that in mind as we read. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I, I just want to go back and read that again because I want us to understand he's talking about the church there. Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So then he says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, there that is again, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. And verse 22 says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Wow, all that we've just read there, the, the, the dominant meaning, the dominant application, there is an application for husbands and wives and family relationships, but, but he says, I'm really speaking about Christ in the church here. And Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself for her. He died for her. He bled for her. The Bible says he purchased the church with his own blood. And so then the Bible says that we, as his bride, we ought to cooperate with him. We ought to respect him. We ought to be subject to him. And so that all these wonderful things can take place. Verse 26, that he can sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That I might, he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Wow. As I bring this to a close, 
I just want to share with you. We don't need to look it up. You can write the reference down if you want to. But in Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9, the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter 21, verse 2, talks about a bride adorned for her husband. We're talking about right at the end of the Bible as the, the consummation of all things comes together. Chapter 22, verse 17, the Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. We've talked about the building. We've talked about the body and the bride and some of the responsibilities that we have and what these passages teach us. And I want to go back to something that I touched upon earlier, and that is this, that we should be, as Christians today, so excited, so thrilled, so thankful, to be a part of something as huge and important, supremely important as the church that Jesus is building. What a privilege to participate in something like that. Amen? I hope you are with me and understand I'm talking about something much bigger than this church. That this, what I'm talking about today, it, it just, it supersedes us. It's much bigger than us. It's actually not about us. It's about what God has allowed us by His grace to be a part of. The body of Christ, the building of God, and the bride. The building. Got to keep those specifications right. There's an old hymn we're going to sing now. It's got some words in it I've never sung before. I want you to sing it with me. What a, what a great song. This is an old one. The church is one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is His new creation by water and the Word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Would you stand with me now as the musicians come? 
The church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish, is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her, and false sons in her pale, against the foe or traitor, she never shall prevail. Mid toil and tribulation, and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore, till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion those whose rest is one. Oh, happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with Thee. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed by schisms rent asunder by heresies distressed yet saints their watch are keeping their cry goes up How long, and soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. There's a great day coming when Jesus returns for his bride. We believe that here, don't we? And when Jesus comes back for his own, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day for those of us who know the Lord and love Him and have surrendered to Him and are part of His church, but it's going to be a sad day, too, for a lot of people who've mocked and been disunbelievers and, well, I would like for you to join me before we pray in a moment with this old chorus. I'm so glad. I'm a part of the family of God. Are you? Would you sing this with me? And sing it as a testimony to the Lord today. 
And let's sing it like we mean it. that you have bestowed upon us that enables us to be part of your forever family in the truest sense of the word. To be part of the body of Christ, the building of God. Oh Lord, how thankful we are. Have your way in our lives. Help us to be submissive to you, the head of the church. Help us to care what you say. Help us to know what your will is. And help us, Lord, to be totally cooperative with you, the head of the church. Help us understand. Give us illumination today. Turn the light on in our hearts and our minds and help us to to grasp what by grace we have been permitted to be a part of. How wonderful that is. How glorious it is. And how our hearts ought to be filled with gratitude on the one hand, but awe on the other. As we understand the responsibilities. Lord, the, the, the weight that goes with being who you've called us to be. The light of the world, the salt of the earth. Allowing people to see through the way we live our lives and conduct ourselves, the glory of God worked out in a real way in our hearts and in our lives. So help us. We're grateful today. We're grateful today for what you have done and what you are doing. Help us to to glimpse somehow in greater measure what this is all about and how blessed we are. And we'll be so thankful and changed by it all. 
It's in your name we ask it. share a prayer request if you have any others you need to get to me um, I would appreciate getting those um, there's a note here laying on the pulpit during the prayer when I open my eyes Sherry Rabin's father passed away around 10:15. so um, we prayed at the beginning of the service that the will of the Lord would be done for those of you who see that as a defeat, may I just say to you, there are things worse than dying. Yeah, there are. If you've, if you've lived with people for long, long periods of time and they're in pain and suffering, uh, for somebody who knows the Lord, death is a release and a reward and a blessing. Amen. Thank the Lord. Oh, God, help us to get our perspective right and biblical. Let's pray for Sherry today as we remember these needs and um, lift them up to the Lord. Also, I was given uh, some requests before the service began. If I can find what pocket they're in. Um, Well, I don't know where I've laid them. Kathy, you're going to have to help me, okay? One more pocket. There it is. I'm sorry. I've had a couple of things on my mind this morning. Um, Anna Jones, who is a young lady who has attended our church, um, her dad passed away. We'd like for you to remember the Jones family. Um, Beth Justice, who is the lead singer for Sweet Justice. Um, they had a, a historical home that burnt down, and she is in the hospital um, suffering from that, so please remember her and that family. Uh, many of you will remember Frank and Diane Clark, who um, attended church here um, some years ago before they moved away, they have a nephew, Lance Clark, who was shot in Afghanistan uh, in the military. So let's please remember that family, if you would. Um, again, Sherry's family. I'd like for us also to remember um, Chris Bradford's dad, Ronnie, who is a pastor, um, undergoing chemo. Um, and... Um, we want to lift up Chris and the rest of his family and Pastor Bradford. The Lord's able to heal, is he not? Amen. If you have an unspoken request, why would you do that, Pastor? Why would you have us raise our hand if we have an unspoken request? Well, because that helps the rest of us know that there are needs. But it's also as a sign to the Lord that you've got enough faith to believe that when we pray, he already understands it and knows all about it. And is able to minister. So if you have a need in your life. You would like that need included in this prayer. Would you lift your hand. Look just going all over the building. Hands up. Just about all hands. Wow. We all have needs don't we. So let's pray. Jesus said when they asked him. Lord would you teach us to pray. And I'm going to paraphrase here. Jesus said sure I'll be happy to. 
When you pray, say. say. That's right. When you pray, say. So I'm going to ask you to open your mouth and pray with me now. Because I'll assure you the God we serve has the ability to hear your prayer just as much as he does mine. Even though there's thousands of churches across America right now and people are praying in all those churches, God's big enough to hear them all. So don't think when we all pray, God's all confused and can't hear us. He's bigger than that. And he wants to hear from you. Let's pray together. Lord, we bring to you our needs today. You tell us to cast our care on you, for you care for us. You tell us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find help in time of need. So Lord, today, we bear one another's burdens. We pray together. We believe together. You're an awesome God with whom there is no shortage of power and ability to heal. So we're asking, Lord, that you would minister to these needs today. Touch Sherry, Lord, and her family following the loss of her dad this morning, even while we've been here in service. Oh, Lord, that you would move and minister and work. Let the God of all comfort be there to sustain them and and manifestly show your presence. And may Sherry feel your love, even the prayers of this church family right now as we are praying for her. Oh, Lord, all these needs that have been shared, those who are bereaved because of the loss of a loved one, those who need healing for their bodies, you are our healer. Lord, your word says, by your stripes, we are healed. And we claim that today. I'm praying, Lord, that you would minister to these needs. All across this building, there were hands that were raised. Oh, Lord, you know every one of these needs. You're aware of every one of them. They're far greater than I can even comprehend. But I'm going to pray today like you taught us to in the Lord's Prayer. That because I love you so much, Lord, and because you're our Heavenly Father and you only want what's best for us, I'm going to say, Lord, for all these needs that we have today, please, Lord, allow your kingdom to come and allow your will to be done, Lord, for each one. Oh, you're such a good and a gracious God. And we praise you here today. Have your way in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for those who have come today. Let the word of God take root in our hearts. Help us to get some sense of how big you are and your work in us can be. Thank you, Lord. You're an awesome God. We do love you today. We bless your name. We praise you today. And we give you glory. Can we sing this chorus as we end it? Let's tell him how great he is. For you are great. You do miracles so
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.